Section 18 of 93 by Victor Hugo, translated by Aline Delano. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, Book 4, Chapter 5. When he awoke, it was daylight. The beggar was standing up, not in his den, for it was impossible to stand erect there, but outside on the threshold. He was leaning on his staff, and the sunshine fell upon his face. Monseigneur, said Talmarch, it has just struck four from the belfry of Tanis. I heard it strike. Therefore the wind has changed. It comes from the land, and as I heard no other sound, the tocsin must have ceased. All is quiet at the farm and in the village of Erbonpile. The blues are either sleeping or gone. The worst of the danger is over. It will be prudent for us to separate. This is my time for going out. He indicated a point on the horizon. I am going this way. Then, pointing in the opposite direction, he said, You are to go that way. The beggar gravely waved his hand to the Marquis. Take those chestnuts with you if you are hungry, he added, pointing to the remains of the supper. A moment after, he had disappeared among the trees. The Marquis rose and went in the direction indicated by Telmarch. It was that charming hour called in the old Norman peasant dialect the peep of day. The chirping of the finches and of the hedge sparrows was heard. The Marquis followed the path that they had traversed the day before, and as he emerged from the thicket, he found himself at the fork of the roads marked by the stone cross. The placard was still there, looking white and almost festive in the rising sun. He remembered that there was something at the foot of this notice that he had not been able to read the evening before, on account of the small characters and the fading light. He went up to the pedestal of the cross. Below the signature, Prieur de la Marne, the notice ended with the following lines in small characters. The identity of the ci-devant Marquis of Lantenac having been established, he will be executed without delay. Signed, Gauvin, chief of battalion in command of exploring column. Gauvin! said the Marquis. He paused, wrapped in deep thought, his eyes fixed on the placard. Govan, he repeated. He started once more, turned, looked at the cross, came back, and read the placard over again. Then he slowly walked away. Had anyone been near, he might have heard him mutter to himself in an undertone, Govan. The roofs of the farm on his left were not visible from the sunken paths through which he was stealing. He skirted a precipitous hill covered with blossoming firs, of the species known as the thorny firs. This eminence was crowned by one of those points of land called in this district a hjore, and at its base the trees cut off the view at once. The foliage seemed bathed in light. All nature felt the deep joy of morning. Suddenly this landscape became terrible. It was like the explosion of an ambuscade. An indescribable tornado of wild cries and musket shots fell upon these fields and woods all radiant with the morning light, and from the direction of the farm rose a dense smoke mingled with bright flames, as though the village and the farm were but a truss of burning straw. It was not only startling but awful, this sudden change from peace to wrath, like an explosion of hell in the very midst of dawn, a horror without transition. A fight was going on in the direction of Erbonpal. The Marquis paused. No man in a case like this could have helped feeling as he did. Curiosity is more powerful than fear. 
One must find out what is going on, even at the risk of life. He climbed the hill at the foot of which lay the sunken path. From there, although the chances were that he would be discovered, he could at least see what was taking place. In a few moments he stood on the hure and looked about him. In fact, there was both a fusillade and a fire. One could hear the cries and see the fire. The farm was evidently the center of some mysterious catastrophe. What could it be? Was it attacked? And if so, by whom? Could it be a battle? Was it not more likely to be a military execution? By the orders of a revolutionary decree, the Blues frequently punished refractory farms and villages by setting them on fire. For instance, every farm and hamlet which had neglected to fell the trees as prescribed by law, and had not opened roads in the thickets for the passage of Republican cavalry, was burned. It was not long since the parish of Bourgogne, near Ernay, had been thus punished. Was Erbon Pyle a case in point? It was evident that none of those strategic openings ordered by the decree had been cut, either in the thickets or in the environs of Tanis and Erbon Pyle. Was this the punishment thereof? Had an order been received by the advanced guard occupying the farm? Did not this advanced guard form a part of one of those exploring columns called Colonnes Infernales? The eminence on which the Marquis had stationed himself was surrounded on all sides by a wild and bristling thicket called the Grove of Erbon Pyle. It was about as large as a forest, however, and extended to the farm, concealing, as all Breton thickets do, a network of ravines, paths, and sunken roads, labyrinths wherein the Republican armies frequently went astray. This execution, if execution it were, must have been a fierce one, for it had been rapid. Like all brutal deeds, it had been done like a flash. The atrocity of civil war admits of these savage deeds. While the Marquis, vainly conjecturing, and hesitating whether to descend or to remain, listened and watched, this crash of extermination ceased, or, to speak more accurately, vanished. The Marquis could see the fierce and jubilant troop as it scattered through the grove. There was a dreadful rushing to and fro beneath the trees. From the farm they had entered the woods. Drums beat an attack, but there was no more firing. It was like a batu. They seemed to be following a scent. They were evidently looking for someone. The noise was widespread and far-reaching. There were confused outcries of wrath and triumph, a clamor of indistinct sounds. Suddenly, as an outline is revealed in a cloud of smoke, one sound became clearly defined and audible in this tumult. It was a name, repeated by thousands of voices, and the Marquis distinctly heard the cry, Lantenac! Lantenac! The Marquis of Lantenac! They were looking for him. End of section 18